Welcome, Warriors, to another edition of Outreach Warrior. I am your host, James. Welcome back. And I am very excited this week because we have a very special guest. His name is Scott. He has been one of my best friends for over 20 years. And he is a EMT. He's an EMT on Cape Cod in Massachusetts, uh, where I grew up. And I wanted to do a show about, well, Let's go back for a second about being an outreach warrior. And it's about helping your community. It's about giving back. And I can't think of an, any other career helping your community and giving back as being a first responder. So that is amazing. And we really appreciate that. But I've known Scott for over 20 years. He's one of my dearest friends. I'm so proud of him what he does. And I would like to welcome our friend Scott to the show and i'd also like to say thank you tom our amazing my amazing producer always working hard he's in the background but scott welcome to outreach warrior thank you for having me man i'm very proud of you for everything that you've been doing and working on and uh glad to be here to help out well we love having you and so i just want to i'm going to jump right into it i wanted to do a show when i was on vacation in new hampshire i was talking to tom and i wanted to touch upon uh, crisis that we have in Massachusetts. It's on Cape Cod. There's actually an HBO documentary made about it. Uh, but before I touch on that, I want to get into what you do. So you are an EMT. And so give just tell us a day in the life of Scott being an EMT. All right. Well, the first thing is, I guess, to be a little more technical about it. An EMT is in, encapsulates more than just being on the ambulance. So there's levels of EMT. So EMT, emergency medical technician, you can be just a first responder, which is CPR type stuff. Just that very basic first aid wound care. Then there's a basic, which gets you into a little bit more of the medicine and there's a you know a little more in depth. And then there's a paramedic, which is what I am, which is where you get into, I think when people think of an EMT, they think a lot about paramedics, which are starting IVs, hanging fluids, uh, stuff with the cardiac monitor a little bit more in depth for, you know, performing medicine in the field. So, you know, the most day of the day of the life for me is kind of, you go to work, a lot of it is preparation, uh, being ready, uh, knowing your protocols, which can change from state to state, from county to county, town to town about what we can give. They're all very similar. There are national standards on things but some people there are some drugs in different cities or different places that are used more commonly than than others and some of us are catching up or as science goes things move along and change so but you got to be ready about that that stuff making sure your truck is ready to go all of your equipment your first in bag uh, your monitor and then just be ready for when the tone drops going out the door and seeing what happens and doing your best to help. So that's pretty much how the, the day starts and you wait and you go for a call and there it is. That's, that's awesome. Uh, it sounds, I want to use the word exciting and I'm sure every, 
every day is different, but also I'm sure you deal with a lot of hardship and tough situations and, you know, you're putting yourself in danger as well every day. Um, I did want to ask you before I want to dive into my main subject, um, COVID, it's, you know, it's still a hot topic going around. How have you been dealing with COVID with being an EMT and how have you seen it out in the field? Um, I think for everyone, COVID has been obviously incredibly difficult and trying and everyone trying to figure it out as we go, because I think there's a lot as, you know, EMS, emerging medical services and paramedic and ambulance stuff is not really that old. Like you can trace the fire service way back to like the times of the Romans, like putting out fires and bucket brigades and slaves and all this stuff. But EMS came out really in the 1960s when there was a thing called the white paper that was written by a senator who said that there were more people killed on the highway and died in traffic accidents than had been killed in Vietnam. And that was a huge, and that was a huge push towards we need to have this more. So there are people who I've come across in my day who have been like from the beginning and things have really evolved. So, but we've had a basis for how we found, you know, moving forward, like something would happen with a cardiac issue. So they would use this med and then they studied it with this result. So now the medicine has changed and it kind of just expanded like exponentially from how, um, what we can do and what and what we can't do and how it's worked. What COVID has become is, since there was such a great element of the unknown, it was just trying to figure out and going on the fly of uh, the number one thing is understanding how, how serious it was, um, how deadly it could be, taking care of, care of yourself in terms of transmission. Um, there was, you know, early on, I was going to calls, you know, in starting from head to toe, a full face shield, goggles underneath, an N95 mask, a Tyvek suit, gloves, because nobody knew. And now it's kind of been like, and then as I said about other things and how science has changed, it's like, well, it's probably mostly the N95 is the big thing. So we've kind of cut back on some of the Tyvek suits, but, you know, just being out there and, uh, you know, it's been interesting to see how that's just how we're doing our best to protect ourselves. I mean, a silly little story is that my captain's been on the job for 35 years. And he was telling me that he remembers in the late eighties when there was a six month temporary glove mandate when AIDS broke. And he's like, that temporary mandate has been going on now for 40 years. So we laugh saying, will I be telling guys when I get to that point in my career, like I remember when we didn't wear masks on calls. Cause even though as COVID started to come down, we're all still wearing masks, you know, and the hospital still has masks. So it, it, it's kind of changing how we, how we've uh, done business, but we're doing the best of it. And um, I think the most important part is just always being compassionate and empathetic to what people are dealing with, because it's a very serious emergency to them and they're sick and they need help and you do your best to protect your, your yourself but make sure that you're taking care of everyone else absolutely wow that's that's a really neat comparison there that you made with the gloves and the mask like that's wild you know like back then they're like oh we have to put gloves on and now yeah i mean, like, I, mean have to wear a mask. <laughs> I mean 
you I mean you've been working at school so you know like i don't know if you ever had to do any of those classes like an hour long i'm like bloodborne pathogen trans trans oh yeah, and stuff. oh yeah like so everyone has to do that right so i know guys who remember like what you know they would go on calls and it was kind of like joking around the station afterward about how like who got the bloodiest and now it's like and to hear that story from somebody who's you know 30 years ago that's crazy to me because oh my god why would we ever have why would that have been acceptable but at the but at the time like nobody knew about the dangers of bloodborne pathogens and now you throw in covid and all these things that you know i mean it's crazy to me to walk through a hospital now when you're dropping off a patient and everyone's in masks and and thinking why wasn't it always like that you know <laughs> you know like there's just so many sick people everywhere that it's just you know and i understand that there's a lot of you know uh people have feelings about certain things when it comes to masking and stuff, but in a hospital setting, like you don't know what's there. You don't know what people are, you know, and it's just kind of a, so, you know, I mean, I mean, it is interesting to, to think about um, how it all expands because I just feel that as an EMT, the profession is always evolving. Like anyone who thinks they know everything um, I don't, you know, I, I hope I never learn everything because you want to keep better and being able to help people more. And then maybe when I retire in 20 years is I can sit back and say, Hey, I, I was pretty good at that. But until I get there, I always want to make myself better because the better that I am, my crew is the equipment that we have, the training that we do, the more help we can provide. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so Scott, what, what made you want to get into, to this field? Um, it, family history is I, is I would say, uh, in my family, there's really two professions. Uh, there were educators and there were uh, first responders. I have a long history of, um, I had a grandfather who was a deputy chief in New Jersey, uh, an, uh, an uncle who's now a retired captain on a fire, on a fire department, um, another uncle who's about to retire, a couple of cousins. And on my mom's side, that's my mom's side. And then on my dad's side, there were other people to call who were call fire firemen and um, and worked on the ambulance in the very early days, like back in the days when the ambulances were Cadillacs and they just kind of threw the person in the back. It was like a Cadillac. Uh, if you ever look, look at the old am, am, ambulances from the 60s, it was basically the first ones were like old hearses. They didn't really do any treatment. They kind of put you in the back and then drove you to the hospital, right? So going way back then, but then the other people were teachers. So I started out in teachers uh, working in mental health as I worked with a lot of kids who were on the autism spectrum uh, some adults who were on the autism spectrum mo mostly and I just um, was called to a life of public service and then decided one 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 day kind of to transition from the educational side to the first responder side but in my opinion it's all the same thing it's just people helping people and providing uh, a service to the community so and that is a awesome segue because on outreach warrior um, our main topics are about the homeless and outreach programs, but it's such a broader term when I say outreach warrior. Outreach to me is helping your community, helping others, being kind, being there for them. And I think that is you to, to a definition, man, to the T. So my, my original idea for the show was uh, I got to see Scott. I was fortunate enough to see him when I went up to uh, up north. Few weeks ago um and 
I was talking to Tom, the producer, and I wanted to dive into the opioid problem, heroin, whatever you want to call it, in Massachusetts, New Hampshire. Um, it's and especially on Cape Cod. Uh, Scott and I both grew up on Cape Cod. You know, we were young, we partied and stuff, we had a great time, but there was never this this problem of this opioid stuff. I mean, when I say, I mean, I, I'm pretty much just saying heroin pretty much. And I know as a first responder, that is a big part of you. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's a big part of your job. And I've lost friends from the Cape, from New Hampshire, from this horrible addiction to heroin, uh, some on the Cape, some in New Hampshire, that, but we're good friends. And never knew it, you know, had no idea. Uh, and I think it affects everybody up there. <laughs> I'm sure you've known some people. But and there's also a, I believe it was on HBO, a uh, documentary film, filmed on the Cape, all about, all about heroin. And it oh, didn't, yeah. and it was just, I think it was three years ago when I was on the Cape visiting my mom and we were walking down the street in Hyannis to the beach and I saw needles just on the sidewalk and I was like, oh my God, I was like, wow. So if you don't mind, Scott, I'd really, and I wanted to, before I thought about asking you to be a guest, I was going to just pull up a bunch of stats and, you know, read off of this, this is how many deaths were in March and this is the, how it's increased. But then I was like, wow, you know, Scott's an EMT. I mean, we, we can get it. I think speaking one-on-one -on -one to someone that's on the front lines is a lot better than just reading stats off. So if you don't mind, Scott, I know it's kind of tough, but can you let us in on a little bit with your experience with overdoses and stuff in that I, realm? I think the first thing is, is that you're right. I, I feel that, you know, you talked a lot about our friendship and going back 20 years and, you know, everyone has wild and crazy youth, but another stuff like that was not stuff that anyone knew about, heard about and talked about. But I feel like within the past five to 10 years, even if you haven't known someone who has been affected by the opioid crisis, like personally, you know, a friend of a friend who has, there's no one that, even if it was something like, Oh, I went to school with them, or I used to play sports with them or, Oh, that was that guy's uncle or whatever it is. I just feel that it's everywhere. And the truth is that it's not really, the demographic is so wide in my opinion that I've seen it from it isn't a certain age group. I'm sure there are stats that it's one is more than this, that, and the next thing. But I've seen, you know, people going down un unfortunately a bad path for almost no fault of their own in terms of, you know, uh, I met a young guy once who was, um, he was hit by a drunk driver on his motorcycle and then they gave him some pills and then of course he got hooked. And it's like, that's not, it's not his fault, you know? And I think that a lot of it comes from, could it be mental health or childhood trauma or a sports injury or a surgery or just something that, you know, you didn't know how bad it was and how powerful those pills are. And, you know, I mean, I, I know from experience myself that I was, um, I hurt my back probably 15 years ago and went to the hospital, the hospital wasn't bad. And they gave me a couple of muscle relaxers and a couple of Vicodin. And it was during a snowstorm. I threw my back out shoveling. And uh, one of the reasons you left for Florida, 
But <laughs> when I came home, I went, my brother, I was living in an apartment with, with, with my brother at the time. And he's like, what are you doing? And I was getting dressed to go back out. Like, I didn't feel anything. I had been in the hospital like three hours before for back pain and whatever they gave me. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to take any more of those. So um, I just feel that it's, you know, it is everywhere. Um, you, you, but again, you do, do, do your best. Um, you know, there have been conversations in the back of the ambulance where, you know, you say, Hey man, you know, I'm not trying to be a hero about this, but they wake up and they say, what happened? And, you know, you were dead and we saved your life with the Narcan and, you know, and the things that are said back, um, the one that always sticks with me is a, a younger person said to me, well, I guess that's it. And I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, if a cat has nine lives, I just use my last one. That was the ninth time that they'd been turned around by Narcan. And I happened to do it. So it's just, it's incredibly powerful. It's incredibly addictive. It's sad. There are resources out there. Uh, Unfortunately, there need to be way more, um, way, way more. And, you know, to go back a minute to the COVID thing, I don't know this personally, but just kind of as a, a, a side note or just a thought is kind of as the hospitals have been overrun with COVID, I'm sure there have been things that have been pushed out to the side. And unfortunately, some of the um, some of the population that may need help with things like opiate addiction, I imagine that's been very difficult in terms of congregate living center settings in treatment centers and things of that nature. So, you know, I mean, it's still out there, you know, you still see it. Um, I work with a guy on my group who was an EMT basic, who was going to paramedic school like I did, who was riding in new in New Bedford. And he told me just two days ago, he did six overdoses in a 12 hour shift. So it's everywhere, man. It's very, it's very sad. So um, yeah, you know, so you just, Again, it's like anything, it, you try to do your best and uh, yeah. <laughs> have you have you ever had any, and this is again, kind of a tough, tough question, but I've heard about it. Has anyone that you've brought back ever been upset that you ruined their high? To my knowledge, how the Narcan works is, right? So if you, the centers of what releases from the heroin, okay? And it gets on your receptors and the dopamine drops and all that stuff. What the, and that can cause part of the high is respiratory depression, right? If you get too far respiratory depressed, it becomes respiratory arrest. And that of course is where you overdose, right? Or something like that. So when we give them the Narcan, it kicks those receptors off. So basically, what you've done is when you hear of stories of like how horrific heroin withdrawal is, like when people say that they shake and they all that stuff, Narcan almost puts you into like an instant withdrawal. So they're, so they, so like they're, so they're like, they're, they're very sick obviously. And they use the heroin or the pills or whatever they're doing. However, snort it, shoot it, whatever they do. And then by us turning them around, it isn't even the, the money, it, it, but, it, but, it, but it's just that that sickness that they felt so they had to shoot up because of the physical addiction of it by saving their life. I've been told that it, cre- it, it, I've been told that it, that it increases the withdrawal symptoms by like 10%. So sometimes they are very uh, agitated at you. 
or something along those lines. I, um, I don't pretend to be a doctor, but I've been told that that's the type of thing that happens. So there have been a few times when people get agitated. I mean, most of the time it's because you're down and you're, and you're just, then the next thing, you know, I would assume is you wake up, there's big people coming over you, you have an IV in you, you know, you might've had your, your, your chest might hurt if we had to start chest compressions or a tube down your throat. And I think it's just more of the shock of being like, what the hell just happened, you know? And just so, uh, yeah, but I, I mean, it does happen where the people do get agitated and I don't think it's, Again, I never take it personally. I, you know, I, I would never try to pretend that I understand what someone had gone through to unfortunately fall down that hole of addiction. So if they're agitated today because we brought them back and just wherever they are, I, you know, you just try to be nice and empathetic and tell them whatever help that they need. And if we have to come back and do it again, we do. And, um, hopefully they can get the help and the treatment that they need before I have to go back. And, um, unfortunately it's too late. Yeah. That's, um, uh, so as a paramedic as well, and like we focus a lot on homelessness, um, what's your interactions with the homeless on Cape Cod, if, if any? Um, again, I, I, I think that you would, uh, it's everywhere. It's, um, there are some, you know, you could have a whole other show or many shows or, uh, about income inequality and problem with those things. Uh, my community that I work in is probably not as, uh, stricken with that as other com communities, but we do see it. Um, I, I think that, uh, Again, I mean, in the town that I work in now, there wasn't a shelter, but I did work um, off Cape for a little bit in, in a town that did have a shelter. And uh, you would see um, some people who were just down and out trying to get their life back, back together, falling off other, uh, a lot of uh, mental health issues, um, untreated uh, schizophrenic things of that nature. Um, another topic for another show, if you wanted to do, unfortunately, is I run into some veterans who have fallen on hard times who went through, I God only knows the, 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 the atrocities that they've seen and they've been left behind and um, trying to get themselves back. Uh, so, I mean, it is around and it's not. And again, I, you know, I don't have, we, the same thing as a doctor, if somebody calls me to help them, it doesn't matter whether or not you can pay for the whatever. We, that's we're here to help, and all that stuff comes later. So if someone is in trouble, regardless of their economic status, homelessness, or anything, uh, we are always there to help everybody. And um, I did do some research. Well, when I lived on the Cape, I knew of one place. Uh, it was called the Noah Shelter, and I knew the uh, founder. Uh, I know they help people that are facing uh, imminent homelessness. Uh, and I would love to do another show with you, Scott, if you'd, if, if you'd be down, uh, we could talk about some more things like that. We are running out of time. So Scott, thank you for joining us and your insight. And wow, uh, your paramedic work is, it, it's awesome. And I'm so proud of you, man. Like I said, Scott's one of my best friends, 20 plus something years, 
We grew mm. up together. Uh, Thank you ahead. very much for having me. Uh, you know, I, I, I do it because I enjoy it. It makes a good living. And, you know, some of the stuff about, you know, I, I'm not one to, to throw out, you know, what what we do or how, or how hard we work, but I have an incredible amount of res respect for people who are in busier systems in cities fighting fighting fires, those guys out west right now, men and women fighting those uh, wildfires and all of the doctors and nurses in the COVID wards and things. I just, you know, 14 hours with a N95 and it just it's just been incredible to watch how um, people have, you know, working together to take care of those who can't take care of themselves it's it's uh it's something awesome to be able to be a part of and that would also be people like you doing work with people outside of a medical setting to help out those in need it's just people helping people man it's all good no i mean it's just you know giving back it's it's, it's just a you know i think it's just the right thing to do and that's what we're really trying to do here is just spread awareness that of people helping people, but also that not every person you see on the streets is a bum and they're not just trying to beg for change, that there's situations that we don't know about. And, you know, everyone falls on tough times, hard times sometimes. Well, Scott, my friend, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I hope you enjoyed this edition of Outreach Warrior. If you have a story, um, you know of a story or a friend with a story, we would love to hear it. Maybe be a guest on the show can email us at outreachwarrior at gmail.com and our Reddit friends, we're on Reddit at r slash outreachwarrior. Well, from myself, James, my amazing producer, Tom, and one of my best friends in the entire world, Scott, thank you for joining us and we'll see you next week.